Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew. Well, hello, this is Deacon's Pod. Please say hello to my fellow Deacons, Deacon Drew and Deacon Dennis. And a big welcome to all of our listeners out there. So hello, everyone. Hey, Tom, how are you? Good, good. Hello, Tom. How are you Drew, doing? Drew, fine. Thank you very much. So today we're going to be talking to Father James Martin, and we've been really looking forward to this. We are all very big admirers of Father Martin and his work. How are you guys? Are you guys ready for this? It's kind of exciting. I have been looking forward to this for quite a while. I'm a big fan like yourself of Father Martin and all the work that he's been doing and his travels and his books. So a long time and is is an exciting afternoon for us. Yes, I'm very excited about Father Martin. He he's someone who is is like a lightning rod. Unfortunately, in some respects, but fortunately in others, because as a lightning rod. If people pick up his books and listen to what he says on Facebook on his, and in his ministry, they'll understand that he is preaching the gospel, and that's it. Well, he's the real deal. He's not an empty suit. That's what I like about him. And I think that that's one of the things that draws the ire of people. There's a lot of people that like their religion compartmentalized and, and otherworldly. And, you know, if you read any of Jim Martin's stuff, like he wrote a book on Ignatian spirituality that I enjoyed tremendously, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. And as you can tell by that title, there's a sense of humor in this. There's a reality base to this. This is not posing for holy cards, you know? And right. there's a lot of people that right there, they're upset. That's not what I signed up for. It's like the sign of peace. I don't mind coming to church, but to shake your hand and say, peace be with you. I don't like that because I'm not here for you. You know, I resist the idea that this has anything to do with my relationship with you. So I think that's one of the reasons he draws the fire he does. But it's one of the things I love about him is that it's real. You know? I mean, his book, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, it relives the life of Jesus by walking in the footsteps of Jesus where Jesus lived. Father Martin went over and did that. And then nothing in that book deviates or departs from the Gospels. The sad part about that is that book came out a couple of years after I was over in Israel, and I read it after the fact <laughs> and realized I missed half the places that were worth seeing, even though we got to see so many. But yeah, it was nice, that commentary that I recall is how Jesus in the boat and how the landscape was so formed that it became the whole amphitheater. You often wonder, like, how did these people hear them? You get out in the boat and you row, you row out, you know, 50 yards. and He, ta um, he talks about that in the book. Yeah, he, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know. We talk about Father Martin and how excited we are, but, you know, we've been blessed uh, on this podcast so far with the guests that we've had. I mean, there have been some really, really fine people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, starting with Kaya Oaks first and then Father Stu, the Paulist father. He was who great. Just opened his heart to talk yes, to people. Oh, man. He was, was fantastic. And then, and then Fran Rossi Spiltzen, you know, what a powerhouse she is. I mean, we've just had some really good guests. And, of course, Judge Esther Salas. Right. So, so having Father Martin, you know, just, it's just kind of like oh, he's, he's part of the tradition of our being blessed with, yeah. guests, with great Beyond guests. Beyond anything any of us deserve. That's, that's for right. Sure, yeah. you know? I would turn us down in a minute. I don't know about <laughs> <That's it. right. laughs> No, thanks. That's a hard no. 
<laughs> God, yeah. riding straight with crooked lines. How we all got here? Did any of us plan this? Did oh, it was Drew's did, idea? No, Drew yeah. said, "I want to do this. I want to do this." And, and I was no. standing next to him and said, "And I, this is a Holy Spirit thing." I said, "Yeah, okay." And I, we hadn't even talked about doing what. It was some Drew. Do you remember? It was some like I'd like to do something in media. Exactly. I it mean, was it was a very, very general thing, and I glommed right onto it. And I was like, "Why did I say that?" Yeah, because I thought you were crazy when you. You said it. And yes. yet here yeah. you are. I will. Wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, is that a qualification? I, 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 I think it know. is, obviously, yeah. if you look at the, the crew here. But it, that's the Holy <laughs> Spirit. You know, I, I think that's the thing. If you, you know, if, if, you, if you're in this business, you learn to trust the Holy Spirit. Because you know that the bad things happen when we do it my way. And you start that, that <laughs> little intuition that, oh, go, you want go over there. Do this. Get Go, you know, say yes. Do that. You, you start to recognize that the more you listen to it. And this, for me, I can remember where we were standing, Drew, and I had just met you, you know, and boom, I just said, oh, yeah, I volunteer. And I was like, what? But it was a Holy Spirit thing. And I think uh, I think what we've experienced this ride so far, I might have been right. I think we had that Holy Spirit moment, and correct me if I'm wrong, on, in Lake George. Yeah, no. Right there yeah. in the living room, yeah. At the Paula Street Treathouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which which is a great place to have the Holy Spirit visit you. Well, exactly. You. you can't get much better than that for yeah. uh, Father Hecker's rooms are yeah. right next door where he stayed when he was there on yeah. the on the summer vacation. A very small bed. Inspirational. <laughs> well, no. people were shorter then. No. Yeah. But you go far if you listen to the Holy Spirit. Because, but again, if you look at your life, Tom, did you grow up saying, I want to be a prison chaplain? No, no. I didn't. I didn't even know I wanted to be anything, really. Well, really? It just falls into place, right? Yeah. You got to make a choice for college. What's, you what's follow your the breadcrumbs. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. you make yourself available and you take a chance. And it's surprising how often it amounts to something and more than what you ever thought or planned or whatever. So, like you said, our best plans would end us up in trouble, you know, if, if we laid it out and acted upon it. As we saw the men in prison and the women in prison, like, here's a plan. Yeah. Okay. How's it working yeah. for you? I, yeah. <laughs> well, I have a feeling. How did you see this working out, actually? <laughs> I have a feeling that these subjects will come up in our interview with Father Martin. Because if you read, because we've all read his writings, and, and, I, and I think he might give us some insight mm. onto how a listening to what you know, God comes to you in prayer, how listening mm -hmm. to that might result in how you turn out. And he does face sharing. Let me just mention this on Facebook, like weekly. He has yes. a, he has Friday a Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon. Yeah. Right. Live stream. If any of the listeners want to check that out, because that's, he's kind of showing you how, how the sauce is made, how you do spirituality, how it comes on a very natural, basic daily level, how, and how he does it. And uh, it's really quite good to, to be involved. And what I find interesting also in, in him is his peacefulness. It, it comes from deep within, that whole lived spirituality. I have to laugh here as a guy who's in so much criticism. And yet, no matter where you see him, he's always got this gentle smile on. He's not ruffled by the, uh, the critics or any of that. So you have to have your spirituality rooted. He's a, a peaceful Lord. man. Yep, yep. And he, and he and as, a, as a Jesuit, as another Jesuit once said, he knows that if you're going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Rocky road. Yeah. So he's not, you know, he, he knows the hits are going to come if you do the right thing. And it's like, that's part of the gig. And God bless him. God bless him. 
Yeah. Well, you know, with that, maybe Tom, why don't you take us into the interview? All right. And today we welcome Father James Martin, Jesuit priest, and we are happy to have him here on our Deacon's Pod. For those who might not be familiar with Father Jim, he is an American Jesuit priest, editor-at-large of the Jesuit magazine America. He was appointed by Pope Francis in 2017 as a consultant to the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication, a New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of many books, 14 books, some of which are Learning to Pray, The Jesuit's Guide to Almost Everything, A Spirituality for Real Life, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, My Life with the Saints, Building a Bridge. He's also appeared in stage and on screen, and he is a much sought-after public speaker and media commentator on subjects such as life and teachings of Jesus and Ignatian spirituality, as inspired by the life and teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So thank you very much, Father Jim, for taking the time to be with us today, and a big welcome. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy hearing from you. My pleasure. I'm, I'm going to say good to be with my fellow deacons, since we were just saying that the priest continues his diaconal role. So good to be with you all. Very happy to be here and honored to be with you and with your listening audience. I've got to confess, I'm a, a fan of yours, but I did not realize that you had an interesting college degree to begin with. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. And I think this is where my life might intersect with a lot of deacons who come from the business world. I went to the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, graduated in 1982, and then worked for six years in finance and accounting with GE and then GE Capital, former uh, sort of financial powerhouse, no more, uh, or at least no more financial powerhouse, uh, before I entered the Jesuits in 1988. And actually, we're speaking today, it's the anniversary of my vows. I took vows on this day in 1990, uh, 32 years ago. Congratulations. Time Thank flies you. when you're having fun, yeah. right? There you go. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. So yeah, so uh, so I had a business background and really never considered anything remotely religious in terms of my uh, future profession, but God had other things in mind. Yeah, that uh, writing uh, straight with a crooked line, a crooked line with a straight. Yeah, that's another chapter of I found very interesting how um, uh, some of the key people in your life were Henry Nowen and Thomas Merton. So I'm just wondering why you're not down at Gethsemane. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, part of it is I talk too much. But like a lot of us, I came across Thomas Merton's writings when I was a young man at age 25, 26. And this is the first time I really considered doing something other with my life. I really, I was in the business world and I was kind of dissatisfied, but I thought, well, what can I do? I mean, I, I can't, I, I didn't know what else to do. And uh, Merton's vision of religion and of spirituality and of God uh, really called to me. And it's funny, I, I thought about the Trappists for a little bit, but then I discovered the Jesuits and they just seemed to fit me better. I love the Trappists and I think monastic life is something I would say, you scratch a Jesuit and you get a you get a Trappist, or you could probably say you scratch a deacon, you get a Trappist. I mean, we're all drawn to that contemplative life, but we also have to know what we're made for and what we're not made for. That's interesting because we do talk about different forms of spirituality here. And mm -hmm. we'd like you to express a little bit about the Ignatian. But you just said a part that I think appeals to most of us is we're not strictly one spirituality completely. We, we draw from all these numerous spiritualities. And in a day and age when people claim they're spiritual but not religious or the nuns, well, tell us a little bit about the Ignatian spirituality and how you think these people who might 
proclaim as being spiritual might be missing some of that great wisdom of our church. Yeah, and sure, I want to say, though, Deacon, that what you said is very profound, just in, as kind of you said it as an aside, that we do draw from many spiritualities. And I think this is particularly the case with diocesan priests and deacons that I know, that it, it's sometimes not one spirituality, it's a little bit of Jesuit spirituality, maybe Franciscan, maybe Trappist, maybe, you know, a particular writer that they like, right? And so I think that's very natural for people. But in, and even in the Jesuits, we're not just people who draw upon Ignatian spirituality. So Ignatian spirituality is the spirituality that is based on the life and writings of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, sometimes called Jesuit spirituality. Ignatian's a little broader because Jesuit spirituality now has the connotation of being for Jesuits, like the Jesuit constitutions, things like that Jesuit community. But Ignatian is broader. You know, I would say that a kind of motto that we use is actually a pretty good way of summing it up, which is finding God in all things. And that means that God is not just confined to the walls of the church or the Bible or retreats, right, or the breviary, but it's in, to so broaden it out for deacons, in your family life, in your married life, if you're married, your kids, your grandkids at work, right, nature, your neighborhood. And so it's finding God in all things. And of course, St. Ignatius's spirituality is very much centered on Jesus, on the person of Jesus. And what are called his spiritual exercises, uh, this is a plan for a four-week retreat focusing on the life of Christ, is designed to bring you into connection with Jesus through kind of imaginative prayer experiences where you imagine yourself in certain scripture scenes. So I would say those two things would be what characterizes Ignatian spirituality. One, finding God in all things, and then the, the general legacy of the spiritual exercises. Indeed. Yes. Nice. You were a priest for almost 20 years and Pope Francis tapped you to the dicastery for communications. Well, how's that going? What, what <laughs> can we expect? I mean, we really don't uh, connect with the hierarchy and, and the uh, uh, you know, I would say, it's, first of all, it's a very low-level appointment. <laughs> There are members of the of the dicastery, so we know now we know now that everything's called a dicastery. There are no more congregations. It's to kind of level the playing field. So the dicastery for your communication is concerned with all the Vatican's communications externally. So the Holy See Press Office, L'Osservatorio Romano, the social media, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. And there are members who include like cardinals and bishops and lay people. Then there are consultants, right? And then the lowest level is the consultor. <laughs> oh, like Dickens. So, yeah, I know, right? And so I, from time to time, uh, just help them with different questions that they have. I was on a, I'll be on a call tomorrow morning with them, early in the morning, Rome time, not so early, uh, about their presentation of the synod, those kinds of things. So you know, it's a lot of it's like what would work in the United States and what advice would you have in terms of how we roll these things out. So it was a real honor. It still is a real honor and I'm really excited about it. But yeah, but just to be clear, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm deciding on Vatican communication strategy every day. You can't brief us about some major reform that's going to happen that's going to set the world on fire here and get us going. <laughs> no, breaking news, breaking yeah. news. <laughs> breaking news, right. No. Yes. So, but again, there have been a lot of changes at that level. I mean, you see a lot more with the advent of social media, the Pope's presence, so... Um, yeah, and you know, I always think we trace it back to, say, John Paul II, right, who was a great communicator, and we remember he had records and books, and I think World Youth Day is, frankly, a, a means of communication. And then Pope Benedict started to tweet, right? I remember the first thing where he was pushing the button for the tweet. And then we have uh, Pope Francis, who tweets every day, and social media is really a kind of part of our lives. But 
he and the Holy See and the Vatican more generally are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think it's great. And I mean, I, I read the Pope's tweets every morning about the gospel and they're, they're wonderful. And so this is where people are. So Jesus went where people are and he spoke in their language. So why wouldn't we do that? And it's nice. I think yesterday or maybe this morning, I saw a little boy going up to the Pope. Others, yeah. <laughs> an audience or what? It's good to see that. It's good to see yeah, come to me, you, let the children come to me. Yeah, and it's funny, Deacon. So the they had a the little boy sort of wandered up on the stage. Yeah. Although I wonder how accidental that was. I wonder if the parents just said, "Go up and see the Pope." Well, the Swiss and, guard didn't move, so <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they didn't like take their halberds and skewer the kid. But I think in the past, we would have probably never seen that. I mean that that was that's just a kind of happenstance moment, and we might not have never seen it. And thanks to social media and Twitter, we not only see it, we see it two hours after it happened, which is pretty great. And the communication, I I just want to bring up that you do cause a lot of communication, given the firestorm around your relatively new book, (laughs) Building a Bridge. Can you talk about that? Like the book itself is pretty clear. Yes, uh, you disclose yourself as a card carrying Catholic. Uh (laughs) True, I tried and true, but that's not what. I know. I know. Well, you can't believe everything you read on social media. So the book is basically, it's about an invitation for the church to reach out to the LGBTQ community that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, they say, or questioning with respect, compassion, and sensitivity, which is what the catechism asks, and love, mercy, and compassion, which is what Jesus asks. On and the one right. everybody wanted your head. I mean, that's no, crazy I know. talk. God forbid. God forbid. But, you know, and I'm Controversy. Very clear, uh, it's terrible. It's very, I'm very clear that I don't challenge any church teaching. Yeah. I'm coloring within the lines. I'm a Jesuit. I have to get everything approved, of course. But, you know, frankly, even that is threatening to a lot of people, which I think just shows us how far we have to go. And fortunately, Pope Francis has been supportive. My Jesuit superiors have been supportive. And you get used to a lot of the craziness on social media. I find one of the funniest things, I, I, I say this a lot, is that I often will quote Jesus or the catechism on social media about respect, compassion, yes. and sensitivity, and people get angry. <laughs> and they say, the, yeah. where'd you get that from? It's exactly. Like, well, it's, this is a quote from the Gospels, or and this is a quote from the catechism. And so anyway, yeah, so so it's you have to kind of take these things lightly. Indeed. Well, it's, it's hard. So you have to have either thick skin or some, a, a good place to hide. Where do you go? to renew yourself. How, well, that's a good, that? really good question. I just came back from a retreat and truly the way that I deal with these things, it's kind of complex, but the first way is to remember that Jesus himself, we all, that he's our model. Jesus himself was misunderstood and people hated him, right? Even in his hometown, the rejection at Nazareth is a very important passage for me, right? And he, he's kind of free of that need for people to agree with him. He also tells us that we're going to hatred. That's the first thing. The second thing is a little detachment, Ignatian detachment. So I know not everybody can like me, but you know, really the third thing ecclesially is that I'm doing this with the support of the Pope and the support of, I don't show him every single thing I'm writing, but in general, the support of the Pope, the support of my Jesuit superiors. And I have to sort of remind myself that, look, I'm, I ask for permission for everything I do and what, what else can I do? So you, so part of it is, it's, I think it's more of a, less a tough skin and more just detachment and say that this goes with the territory. And I, ne- I, tr- I try never to respond in any sort of angry way. But why would you make that part of your territory, Father Jim? I mean, you don't have to. No one was saying, all right, the, your superior didn't send you out to put your head in that noose. No, you volunteered for that. Tell me about that. When That's you a- see the pushback, because I just read I your know. book. 
before yeah. this. But I, uh, I, as I said to you before we started recording that, I, I follow you for a long time. I've read your other books, and mm-hmm. uh, I was very aware of the pushback and the craziness mm-hmm. you were getting. And I was saying mm-hmm. to myself, wow, I wonder what he said in that book. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's usually right. pretty circumspect. <laughs> there must be something in there. And when I read it, it was like, you got to be kidding me. I know. You have to be I, nice. I know. That, it that's would be, it. It would be, you got to be nice. I know. And it would be nice if people read it too. Um, well, what is the, no. what does it say about, well, first of all, why did you volunteer for this to walk the plank on this? Well, but, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that because it's actually, it's a kind of spiritual journey. And Deacon, I did not set out to do this, nor did I say, oh, I'd like, I'd like to volunteer for the most controversial ministry in the church. What happened was after the Pulse nightclub massacre in 2016, where 48 people were killed at this gay nightclub, I was really discouraged by the lack of response from some church leaders. And so I did a Facebook video, just, you know, a little Facebook video. It got tons of hits, something like 2 million, 3 million hits. I was invited to give a talk at a group called New Ways Ministry, which I asked permission for again, and that got a lot of promotion. I thought, well, I'll I'll turn the talk into a, a little book, a very little book with some gospel meditations at the end, because that's really what I, I wanted to focus on. And I thought this will be my little contribution. Well, I got tons of invitations to speak. We had packed houses, and then suddenly this pushback came, and then what I would call the pushback to the pushback. Cardinals and archbishops invited me to different places. The Vatican invited me to the World Meeting of Families. And I'll tell you, truly, it was just kind of being led by God one step at a time, always asking permission. And then I met with the Pope in 2019, and he asked me, I can say it now, he said, I want you to continue this ministry in peace, right? I want you to keep going. And so, and then we started up a website a couple months ago called Outreach. And so truly, I think the classic way of discerning something, at least for a Jesuit, is to make a retreat and say, look, here are the things that are being presented with me. Should I go into this ministry or not? But instead, it was kind of step by step. And I never set out to do it. And then here I am kind of five years later doing this. And, and I always laugh with my friends. I said, if you had said to me, what would be the last ministry that you would want to be associated <laughs> with? Because I'm not a controversialist and I find the controversy really, it's not to my liking. You know, I'd much rather write about Jesus or the saints or prayer. And that's my next right. book is on Lazarus. I mean, it's not about mm-hmm. LGBT people. So yeah, but but ironically, it's just funny how I look back and it was just kind of step by step. And here I am. Yeah, that's, so, how, no, Tom, I did. that's how Tom and I both ended up prison chaplains. It was <laughs> right. like, what, what am I doing here? How did I get into this? Yeah. But they well, let I, me I out. Think, Thank you. No, I think that's a good point. I think that's the way we get into a lot of our ministries. So for example, in your case, it might be someone writes to you or someone says, drop by the prison once. And then it grows and grows and grows. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if you said, I am now making this formal. Mm-hmm. So that's how it happened to me. It's just sort of being led by the spirit, which is why I kind of trust it all the more, you know? Can I maybe take us into a less controversial topic? Please. Which will probably <laughs> actually turn out being controversial yeah, for right. some reason. Right. Uh, yeah, they, they always your, do. Your latest book, Learning to Pray. Mm-hmm. So I picked up that book. You know, I've been in Deacon for over 20 years, wow. I've read lots and lots of books. So I'm like, mm-hmm. why should I read Learning to Pray other than the fact that I really like Father Martin's books? And Because I'm thinking it's a beginner's book. Well, mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. And if I could make one suggestion for a change in the title, Father Martin, yeah, I'm sure, sure you take those all the time. You had a Jesuit guide to almost everything. 
the mm-hmm. almost being in parentheses. Mm-hmm. I think you should call this book Learning Again in Parentheses yeah. to Pray. Well, I'll share something with you, Deacon. It was originally called, that's a very good point. It was originally called How to Pray, you know, much more blunt, right? right. And my publisher said, no, you, you know, publishers have the final word. My publisher said, which is very interesting because that's basically what the book is. It's, it's how to pray. My publisher said too arrogant. It's too <laughs> arrogant sounding like I'm, I know how to pray in which I was like, all right, fine. But they said, if you say learning to pray, it's we're all learners and things like that. But you're right. It does. The title does come off as a kind of beginner's manual, whereas it it's, is, as you point out, it is much more than it, that. It's so much more. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a spiritual guide, a compendium, mm-hmm. a tutorial. It's mm-hmm. an extended essay, really. But I, I have a specific question out of the book, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, Not a couple of days ago. You tweeted on the gospel, and you mentioned metanoia mm. in your tweet. And I, that's one of my favorite concepts, metanoia. Mm. But, you know, there, if you go out and talk to anybody in the parish or in the street, and you say, that guy, he can be a better person. And the first thing they'll tell you is, people don't change. Mm. A leopard doesn't change its spots. But mm. I don't think that's true. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit, about whether people can change Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole concept, so for those who don't know, the whole concept of metanoia, which is the word that John the Baptist uses when he says, I've come to preach a repentance, right? And the word that Jesus uses, right? It's used many times in the Gospels. It's often translated in the English as repentance. Now, that's part of it. But in English, we tend to think of repentance as simply not sinning and being sad about your sins. So repent. And so we have to remember that metanoia is much deeper. Metanoia is a kind of thoroughgoing change of mind and heart. I mean, it really is a total conversion, I think is a better word. And so we have a hard time with, with that word. And, and I, but, but we have to say, look, if Jesus, if Jesus is using that word, which means a conversion and a change, then at least Jesus thought that people could change. And look, we see that all the time in the Gospels. And and I have to say, we do see that all the time in our lives. Now, it may not be the dramatic change that you have with like the the rich young man is called to or the different people who are sinners and and give up their lives. Or St. Peter's the great example. He drops his nets and leaves everything behind. But we do have people changing. We have people becoming more more open, softer. People forgive one another. So I think you, that leopards can change their spots with grace, with God's grace. You will, you and you, and that uh, I, I people might not really understand why I talked about your book and then talked about this, but that's kind of in your book. Some what happens in prayer, and you yeah. do talk about that aspect of like if you want to do something, act, start acting like that. Yeah, and I I think that's right, and I think you know, and I have this experience myself. So in the book, I talk a lot about really what happens when you pray, right. and so the kinds of things that come up: emotions, insights, memories, feelings, words, and phrases. So let's just say you're praying about a particular gospel reading, and you have an insight, and the insight is something as simple as I have to I have to accept the crosses in my life instead of trying to resist them. Okay, so you that's your insight, and it comes in prayer, and you trust it, and you say that seems like it's coming from God right? You have a deeper insight into the cross, right? Right. Now, I think that the challenge is then putting it into action, right? Like, I, I want to do that. I, I know that I want to do that. I know that this is coming from God, or at least I believe this is coming from God. How do I put it into action? And I think one of the most helpful tips that I ever got was, I think this is, this might even be Aristotle, is to act as if you have already put it into action. And then you start to, I think AA talks about this, right? Yep. They say sometimes fake it till you make it. 
but it's not exactly faking it. It is acting as if, and then eventually that habit, I think as Aristotle says, becomes the virtue, right? right? And so I think I think that that sort of bridges the gap between, you know, because a lot of us feel, I think rightly, because we read the gospel stories, that we're going to have the insight in prayer and we open our eyes and suddenly voila, you know, we're, we're no longer burdened by this or that problem, but it does take our work. And I want to say one more thing, because my next book is on Lazarus. And one of the things I've been really thinking about a lot, just in the last couple of days, is at the end of Lazarus's story in John 11, Jesus raises him from the dead, but then he says to the crowd, unbind him and let him go. So in other words, Jesus does the miracle, but it's up to the crowd and Lazarus to kind of put it into action, like take off those grave claws, which I think is, is that kind of step that we take. So Jesus really gives us the grace, but there is a kind of participation. And Lazarus, probably he had to kind of take those first steps too. Right, right. That's a scary thought because who would want to touch that whole ritualistic idea at that point in time, touching the dead? I mean, Absolutely. It's like, so that's just, a, that's a quantum step back in those well, days. That's a very good point. And that's a really interesting point. I never thought about that, that that not only would would they be, you know, there, Jesus is, so, so Martha said, there's going to be a stench when you open up the tomb and this sort of like impurity that Jesus would have had, but you're absolutely right. I never thought of that. I'm actually going to put that in my book because it's not done yet, but you're right. The people themselves. Footnote, Tom Casey. Footnote, absolutely. The people themselves. Well, I think I not, told Tom. That, that's right. That's right. Well, I'll just take credit for it anyway. So, you know, I'm teasing. So, you know, that the people themselves in Bethany on that day would have probably still been a little, as you say, like uh, uh, reluctant to touch his grave clothes. And yet Jesus says to them, unbind him, let him go. And so there's that, there's that step that we have to take. So there's, there's God's grace, but then there's our participation in it. There's a, maybe you can have the book signing done at Wachi. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, I think that raises the whole issue of the spirituality and taking steps. I, I, you just look at the world today and you wonder, are, are we not hunkering down? Are we refusing to act because there's so much going on in our society and criticism where people are just becoming indifferent to a large degree? Um, yeah. I, I don't know how much that fuels the I'm done with church or I just need to make my own path. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I think that I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I always say, look, it's great to be spiritual, right? Spirituality is about your relationship with God, but religion is about also your relationship with God and other people. And you're going to miss out on a lot. You're going to miss out on community. But a lot of people, not surprisingly, the church has done some pretty awful things. And we know about the sex abuse crisis. So there's reasons why people distance themselves. But they're also distancing themselves from really the sacraments and from good preaching from deacons like yourself and from the tradition and the saints. And so I think they're sometimes cutting off their nose to spite their face. I think it's, I don't think it's a good idea for people. You, you, uh, you kind of just answered the question that we want to talk to you about. And that is, what do you say to people who, because part of our thing on our podcast, yeah. co- podcast is we're talking to people in the door, either waiting to yeah. come in or waiting right. to get out. Right. So, I mean, that's one of the things we like to talk about. But you answered the question, so I don't have to ask you now. <laughs> well, but I would, no, I think that's a good question. It's funny. I'm thinking, as you're, so that's a great insight because on the way in, what we really need to say to everybody is welcome, right? Like everybody's well, welcome. You're really welcome here in many different ways. I think on their way out, hopefully they're not firmly on their way out. I think one of the things to do is really listen to what they're experiencing and take it seriously, which I know you guys would do, right? Like these are the problems I have with the church and they're usually legitimate. 
I mean, like this, I mean, how could you not be scandalized by the sex abuse stuff or financial things or whatever? So I sort of meet them where they are, but as Jesus did, but part of it is also pointing out to them first uh, that there's no human organization that's going to be perfect. There's certainly no church that's perfect. Second, that you really are going to be missing out on a lot. And third, I often say to people, and I say this a lot to LGBTQ people who don't feel welcome in the church, look, you're baptized. This is your church. This is your church too, right? And you have just as much a part in it as anybody else. And you also may have a part in in sort of making it better and better, right? I mean, and so maybe God has called you into the church to help to help the church, because usually the people that are leaving are doing, they're, they're, they're really thinking about it, right. and we're losing good, thoughtful people. So, Well, it's the prophetic, you know, we're baptized priest, prophet, and king, and no one ever talks yep. about it. Well, this is the prophet part. Exactly. Oh, well, I don't want to do that. I'll just leave. Well, you know, that's a really good point. Exactly. That, that they think that being prophetic, you have to wear camel hair garments and eat locusts and honey. But no, being prophetic might be to say, hey, this is how the church needs to get better. And this is how I'm going to do it in my parish. Absolutely. People, you're absolutely right. I don't think they understand. I don't think, I think most lay people don't understand any of those roles. And they think that, unfortunately, that they're there as they used to say, pay, pray, and obey. Yeah. <laughs> right. But priest, prophet, and king is, or sometimes I, I saw recently, priest, prophet, and royalty to make it more inclusive. Those are legitimate roles for lay people. And what does that mean? I think one of the great things about the synod that Pope Francis is doing now is that it really is really harnessing the voices of lay people who I think have felt really left out for a long time. And there's a lot coming out of um, Ireland and over overseas about with form the process has worked very well. And I'm just wondering, will they close the doors before? Before the before the now that they get an advance warning, there's a wall around the Vatican. It might be put up for a reason. Like, are they going to really want to do something with this? I think Pope Francis at the beginning of the first synod years and years ago, which I think was the synod on the family. I think he said, "Let no one say this cannot be talked about." And I think they are the, the Irish deliberations on the synod, and especially the German deliberations. Yes. They're really getting some pushback from inside the Vatican. But Pope Francis has been really careful about saying we need people to be open about these things. I think the great thing about the Synod is that no one knows where it's going to go. And really, at the end of the Synod, it is the Pope who writes one of my favorite uh, Vatican expressions, the post-Synodal Apostolic Exhortation. And so he can take it wherever he wants to go, too. And this is kind of consultative, but, you know, we'll we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes it. One of my favorite lines, uh, very briefly, one of my favorite lines is from servant of God, Pedro Arupe, former superior general of the Jesuits. And a journalist once asked him, where is the Society of Jesus going, Father General? And he said, I have no idea. (laughs) And of course, all of his aides were just horrified. He meant, you know, the Holy Spirit's guiding us. We don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to take us. So you're uh, you're next door to to the uh, Paulist Mother Church, are you not? Absolutely. Literally next, literally, literally like next door. touching our building. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're living in the old convent. Yeah. Uh-huh. And how have you found that? Have you enjoyed visiting? It's, the- oh, one of the nicest things to, I, I've never lived, I don't think next to a church. I mean, I, we literally live next to a church. And so certainly it's very convenient on Sundays. That's great. The Paulists are super nice. And that's so with the two religious communities living nearby, we, we do a lot of things together. But I will tell you that one of the most beautiful things, which sounds small, but it's not, is they ring the bells every hour. And sometimes they ring, it's, it seems to be kind of changing from liturgical season to liturgical season. They'll do hymns every hour. 
And so we were on the roof last night in our Jesuit community having sodas before dinner. And at seven o'clock, the Salve Regina rings out. I mean, it was just, it's just, and it's beautiful. It's, it's lovely. So I just, I love that. I mean, who wouldn't like beautiful music every hour? Now, fortunately, it stops at about nine o'clock. I think the neighbors. I was going to say neighbors, neighbors not, maybe that that's I right. they're, they're not all, they're not all Catholic. Well, stop not that all racket. Catholic on the upper, not on the Upper West Side. So, uh, but it's, it's lovely. It's a lovely part of town and it's lovely living next door to them. Well, that's great. Soda on the rooftop. That's. Uh... That's, That's his story. And he's well, let's with say it. soda, soda, and other things. <laughs> other don't be cars in trouble, Casey. <laughs> pre, we call them we pre-prans, Jesuit pre-prans. Ah, uh, uh, what is pre-pran? What's that? Pre-pre-prandial. So oh. before before the meal, yeah, it's, it's all part of like the Jesuit lingo, or also known as drinks. Yeah, <laughs> dinner. Yeah, but uh, no. So we were up. We're up there. We have a little rooftop garden and. We try to identify it like, okay, who can, who can identify this hymn in the first few notes? <laughs> Name, <laughs> Name that, that tune, tune. With, the, <laughs> exactly. with, the, with the chimes, huh? They had for, for a long, for the, for about two weeks, they were, now I'm, I'm not sure why, but for about two weeks, they were playing Abide With Me ah. every day, every, almost every, every hour on every day, which, really, which I love. Thank God I love that tune. Yeah. So. So, one of, I think that's one of Father Hecker's favorites. I yeah, always really? like to play those old the hymns from the 1800s. Well, have there a you repertoire go. of them that I think that's the, interesting. It may have been one of Hecker's, but yeah, the it's, early it's a Paulists hymn. all brought those in when Catholics were doing Gregorian chant mm-hmm. or nothing. And they yeah. started that, they started congregational singing in America, I think, in Catholics. That's really interesting. Yeah. And which predates, of course, the Second Vatican Council. And, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But about Hecker was about 100 years ahead of what we came up with in Vatican too. So that's, that's kind interesting. of interesting in itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to ask you just a quick question, because as Drew said, this is this podcast is really, because, you know, we can entertain ourselves and all that stuff with, with all this inside baseball. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're, tr- we're trying to target the people on the thresholds. People, should I come in? Should I go out? And why we have you, you know, one of the things I noticed that your work life, your ministry, you, you, you went from the finance, like you were a finance guy like Tom was, and you did writing, spiritual direction, retreats. Before that, you did refugee work in Africa. Mm-hmm. You did all of these things. Mm-hmm. Could you give all of us a little reflection on how does a life like that happen spiritually? I assume like with the discernment and the Holy Spirit that the Jesuits hold as central as do the Paulists, of course, that's something both communities really share is that, mm-hmm. that working of the spirit. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that journey that brought you now, now would you head in the noose on the LGBTQ uh, ministry? Well, like, Yeah, that's a great way. I've never had it asked quite that way. That's a really great question. I think a lot of it is, is being open to change as, as Drew was saying, in terms of metanoia, being open to that, that God will change you. God will draw you into different things, being willing to say yes to certain things that might seem frightening or odd. And that doesn't have to mean changing your life dramatically like St. Peter or like I did from going from the GE to the Jesuits. It could mean gentle things, gentle way of sort of growth. And I also think to, to trust that God, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans for comfort, plans for peace, plans for a good life, that, that God has good things in mind for us. And that God will kind of move us in those directions. But I do think a lot of it has to do with discernment, prayer, retreats, spiritual direction, 
speaking to counselors. I think that is essential. I really do. I truly believe that people need to rediscover the value, which is, as Drew was saying, one of the reasons I wrote the book was to talk about things like prayer, spiritual direction, to really take seriously the fact that, as we say in the Jesuits, God does not only want you to make good decisions, God will help you to make good decisions by discerning things, by, by paying attention to what's going on in our lives, and also by, by trusting that God is at work in our daily life. And so I'll, take you, I'll give you a simple example. If, if there's someone who's listening right now who happens, to read, who happens to hear something about prison ministry, and there's something in them that says, oh, I never thought about prison ministry. That's so interesting. What would that be like? And, and the, there's, a, there's a curiosity and an interest. Well, trust that that curiosity and that attraction might be God speaking to you. Or, wow, I never thought about uh, metanoia. I wonder what metanoia means. And, you know, I, I'm curious about these, these Greek passages and the scripture, and maybe I should take a course in scripture. Maybe I should read more. Well, trust that that may be that God is drawing you to that because we, we, we tend to think that a call is hearing voices or seeing visions. And I've never had anything like that, but usually a call is just kind of an attraction, an interest, a desire, a curiosity, and to trust that this is God at work in you. And it can be anybody, right? It, so, so anyone who's listening, who feels a kind of curiosity or an attraction to Jesus or a desire to be more or to live a fuller life, trust that that is the way that God calls us. And I think that's, that's probably the most important thing I want to say, that God does call us and we need to be attentive to that and, and to say yes and to trust it and see where it leads us. And stop listening to those old uh, and watching those old religious movies where the clouds part and the bullhorn calls your name <laughs> yeah. and you say, yes, Lord. And yeah. we're all now, walking look, around going, well, that ain't me. I never did. I mean, you know? that's right. And I think, I think, and one of the things I say in the book is I think when we say, well, I think one of the other things I want to say is that in terms of prayer, people say, well, prayer is really important. Everybody has to have a life of prayer. People sit down and they don't know what to expect. What, what is supposed to happen? And so one of the things I talk about in the book is this is what happens. Emotions, insights, memories, desires, feelings, just to give, to, to demystify it in a sense, because I have never had, I mean, I, I've had some very intense experiences in prayer, but I've never had a vision or heard a voice or, and I think I'd probably be scared out of my wits if I did. Some of the saints do, you know, I mean, we look at Bernadette, of course, and Lourdes, and there are some, but most of us, it's, it's quieter and it's more gentle, which means it also needs to be discerned more. Well, one of the things you really also talk about in the book, and it's, it's a good lesson for me because I still haven't learned it, is to journal and, yeah. and to record those prayers. Yeah, things. you know why? I mean, one reason is, I mean, I'm sure is, is that we tend to forget it. Yeah. And as as powerful as it is, I think that the evil spirit, the spirit that moves us away from God, wants us to forget or doubt. I always say to people at the end of an eight-day retreat, I always say this, trust me, you're going to get home and you're going to doubt the whole thing. You're going to say, I was too emotional. I was too tired. This was all sort of like pressed upon me by the retreat director. No, it really happened. Sometimes, and look, I think stuff that we're most familiar with is stuff that happens in mass. I'm sure you have a lot of people who say to you, when you were preaching, I felt this great sense of fill in the blank, of joy, of comfort. Of I was moved to tears when I saw the Eucharist in front of me. And and you say to people like, look, this is an experience of God in church, in the sacraments, trust it. But a lot of people will say, nah, I was just being, I was just being emotional. Caught up in the moment. Yeah. 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 And so, and so that's the invitation from God that you can say yes or no to. God See, can catch you up in a moment, by the yeah, way, that doesn't disqualify right. it. Yeah, that's right. It, it presupposes this whole idea that we can find some quiet in the day-to-day pace because mm. the way things are going, you can have the best thought going, but you've got to pick up the kids. You've got to do this at the, the busyness of life. 
Yeah, I think a little quiet is, I mean, we're all busy. And so you can find God in the day to day, right? In, in all things. But I think a little quiet for a little bit of that one on one time, even if it's five minutes is, is important. Father Jim, what words of encouragement would you have to those people on the outside that might be listening to this that haven't reconciled themselves? Maybe they were hurt or something. What words of encouragement, given your purview of all you see and your activities to them? Yeah, for those who have been hurt by the church, I would say I'm sorry, first of all. I would say that all human organizations are filled with sinful people. No matter what churches, synagogues, mosques, governments, they're all filled with sinful people. The church has always been sinful. So in a sense, it's not surprising. But you're baptized, and this is the place where God has called you to be for a reason. And that this is, if you feel excluded, that this is your church too. So to find a, try to find a parish or a place or community that's welcoming to you and to really claim your place. But real, I, I'm really big on baptism, right? This is your membership card in the church. And I'm sure as deacons and priests, we've all done a lot of baptisms. And those words, it's, what do you ask of the church? Baptism. And the church welcomes you. I claim you for Christ. And this is, this is irrevocable. And I say to people, look, you're, you're, as much a, you're as much a Catholic as I am, as, as the local priest or deacon, as your bishop, or as, the, as Pope Francis, right? So claim your place in the church. Yeah, we need to preach on that more as preachers. No. That's I think that's where the problem is. People don't know this. No. You know, I preached on the kingdom this Sunday because of the readings, and I, I basically did a quick sermon. It was really t- teaching, like, well, what is yeah. this kingdom? You know, you hear it, you see it, but we don't know what it is or why it's important, and it's Jesus' main point. It's the headline of the Good News yeah, newspaper, and most of us, because we never preach on it. We well, there's another you. podcast, the, the, the difference, the, the tension between our desire, our common desire and mission to preach on the gospel, right? And the fact that so many people, which is wonderful, but the fact that so many people, because they're not going to Catholic school anymore, are not catechized, and they sometimes need sermons and teaching. Right. It's very hard to work that in. So it's, I know you all feel that tension. Yeah. You want to teach people, but it has to, you have to kind of focus, you have to focus on the gospel. I got, I got the kingdom explained to me at Boston College in graduate school. That's when I, and I, I went from kindergarten to the 12th grade of Catholic yeah, school. So right. I don't know how much of there, there was of that. I, that was a real eye opener yeah. for me back yeah. in the day. Yeah, I think if you ask most people what Jesus' main message is, you wouldn't have the reign of God. You would have important things like love, forgiveness, mercy, care for the poor. But I, I think you're right. I think most people would not say the inauguration of the reign of God, because that is too kind of complex or beyond what a lot of people have been taught, and it's not their fault. So, so Father Jim, any, any words you could take us back into the real world now? that the- Yeah, I, look, truly, I just want to say thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the ministry of the deacon which I think, I, one, I think it's one of the jewels of the Second Vatican Council, the restoration of the diaconate into its proper place. And thanks for all the wonderful work that you do for the people of God in preaching and the sacraments and just at accompanying them. And uh, I just think it's a, it's a wonderful ministry that needs to be continually appreciated and raised up. So I just want to say thanks for all you do. And for what you do, yes. yes. Thank you, Father Jim. Thank well, you so it's much. Knowing there's people like you in the church that keeps people like us in the church, which is why we well, wanted to have you on. I mean, there's just there's just people that when you have those doubts, when you have the what am I doing, and you see the ugliness and the sinfulness, and then you remember, well, 
Jim Martin still here, you know, <laughs> that's right. Joan Chittister is still here. I mean, there's people, it makes you think that, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. I, I could hang <laughs> yeah, no, and people. I And I have people like that for me too. Of it's course, really Merton, important to say. Whoever. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. But also like I look at, I was at the Jesuit graveyard recently up in Boston and I say, Oh, look at all these guys. They're amazing. Like yeah. I want to be just like these guys. Exactly. Like, when I grow heroes. up, if I grow up, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this show, right. Well, we'd exactly. like to have you back too, to get a little bit more into Ignatian spirituality, Father. Yeah. Jim, so yes. be happy to uh, anytime. That's one Thank of the things so we try to present is a spirituality so that would be great if we could get you i love the the jesuit guide that would be my recommendation anyone who wanted to to get into ignatian spirituality was just i'd be happy to come back it's great great talking with you guys Uh, you're the best special thanks to el jefe paul snatchko and our editor david dalt the deacon's pod is powered by the paulist fathers You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulus.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.